Well, Happy New Year to you. Today on the podcast, I'm going to be sharing a sermon I preached on New Year's Eve entitled Four Prayers for the New Year, and it's based on Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. And my prayer for you is that in this new year, that you would seek to grow in faithfulness to God. And to that end, I would encourage you to check out one of the many Bible reading plans that we've curated over on the website. You can go to redeemingproductivity.com slash Bible hyphen reading hyphen plans to check them out. The link is also in the show notes. That gives you lots of options for uh, Bible reading plans that if you have a lot of time to dedicate to it, or if you're like, hey, I'm just getting started. I only just want to start with five minutes a day, just get consistent and build on that. We have something for everybody. So do check those out. Um, But now, without further ado, let's get into the sermon, Four Prayers for the New Year. My name is Reagan Rose. I'm a a member here at Harvest, and I have the great joy this morning of uh, teaching from the Word to you. And if you would uh, bow your heads, let's pray real quick. Father, thank you. Thank you for the year that has passed, that's coming to a close. We thank you even for the hard times, for the trials for the work that you were doing in our lives, even through those. We thank you for the good things, the happy times. And as we turn the page in a new year, Lord, I pray that you would be with us in 2024, that you would help us to recommit ourselves to faithfulness to you, that you would show your goodness to us afresh, that we would be reminded of your grace day after day after day. And as we open up your word this morning, Lord, be with us. Help us to, to taste and see your goodness in there, to understand, to have eyes to see and ears to hear. And be with me this morning, Lord, as I present it. May I be faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I, I actually run a ministry called Redeeming Productivity, which is basically about helping Christians better manage their time, set goals, things like that, according to biblical principles. And the reason I tell you that is because I'm very into New Year's resolutions. And I know some people, you know, like, I don't do New Year's resolutions. They don't work. But this morning, I do want to encourage you to make one resolution. Because in the course of, of, of my work with Redeeming Productivity, I hear a lot of resolutions every year. Sometimes it's about losing weight or, or it's something to do with relationships or education. There's some goal people set for the new year. And, and those are fine. Those are good. And there's ways to do that that glorify God. But this morning, as we look at this passage, I'm going to harp on one point over and over again. And that is that I really, 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 really want to encourage you in the new year to make a resolution to be in the word more. Because I would hope if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you want to be more faithful this year. We want to, as we were reading from Philippians earlier, we want to, you know, forget what's behind and strain toward what's ahead as we turn the page in a new year. I want to walk more closely with the Lord. And one great place to start is with reading the word more. And I'm going to have some, some uh, resources at the end that'll help you with that. Um, but I'm just putting my cards on the table here. I'm going to be harping on this point a lot. <laughs> and you'll see it really does flow out of this passage. So the, the passage is Colossians 1, 9 through 14, uh, which Mark just read for us. So if you want to turn there, Colossians 1, 9 through 14, we're going to tackle this verse by verse, and you'll see how it keeps coming back to this, this point about the word again and again. So this passage specifically, it's from the book of Colossians. So this is a, a letter from the Apostle Paul to believers who are living in Colossae. 
And this section is actually a prayer. Verses 9 through 14 is a prayer. And it is a prayer for the believers in Colossians. And let's just dive right in. Looking there at verse 9, we'll start with the, the first little section of here. Um, oh, I should say this. The title of this sermon, do we have it on the screen? Uh, the title of the sermon, I don't know if I gave it to them. It's four prayers for the new year. So that's going to kind of be our outline. If you're taking notes, four prayers for the new year. So the first prayer, and this is a prayer I would have for you, I hope for you for your, yourselves and for your brothers and sisters in Christ, is a prayer for spiritual discernment. So that's point number one, a prayer for spiritual discernment. So look here at verse nine. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. So here's Paul sort of introducing the, the prayer. And so from the day we heard, now, okay, what's he talking? What's the context here? From the day we heard what? If you look back a little bit, verses seven and eight, he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. This is what he's talking about. So Epaphras was a man who, who perhaps even founded the church in Colossians, but he, was, he presented the gospel to them. And he's come and he's met Paul, who's in prison in Rome, his first imprisonment when he's writing this letter. And he's told him, hey, the believers in Colossians, they, they are loving each other. They're displaying the fruit of the spirit. These guys are legit. And Paul is like, yes. And so he's like, from the day I heard that, I'm not ceasing praying for you. I've been praying for you guys because I heard this favorable report from Epaphras. And, and this is kind of an aside, but one thing that struck me as I was studying this passage is it almost seems a little bit odd or a little bit different than the way we pray. So he, he, often, right, you hear of a prayer request, somebody who's in distress or in need or they're not doing so well. And so we pray for those things, right? Which is good and right. But here, Paul is praying for believers who he's heard a really good report about. And it's easy sometimes, I think, for us to forget that we should be praying for those who are doing well spiritually, who are growing. Those, those who are growing, we have to pray for even more growth. And I think as we step into this new year, what a wonderful thing to, to commit ourselves, not just to, to reading the Bible, which we'll talk more about in a moment, but to praying. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters at harvest? Do you pray for the other believers? Do you pray for your elders and for the deacons? Do you pray for those who you don't know that anything bad is going on? You're just praying that they continue to grow. What a wonderful thing to do. And look here, he continues on. Uh, we have not ceased to pray for you. So perhaps you're familiar that there's this, uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, this command to pray without ceasing. And often we struggle with that. We, we say, man, I just, it's hard to pray consistently. It's hard for me to be, to be praying. I just, I forget about it. I don't think about it. And my mind wanders. I think one thing you see here with Paul is what's motivating this kind of prayer, this unceasing prayer. Is, is it self-discipline? Maybe that's part of it. Is, it. is it the guilt of, I really should be praying for them? No, it's love. He hears this favorable report about these Colossians and he's like, yes, I want to be praying for these people. Yes, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in their lives. I, I want you to, to grow them all the more, Lord. It's love that motivates us to seek unbroken fellowship with the Lord in prayer, love for him. And it's love for others that motivates us to pray for them, to pray unceasingly, to inquire about how we can pray even more specifically for them. 
And so I would say this, if you have a prayer problem, you have a love problem. If you have a prayer problem, you have a love problem because a lack of prayer is a symptom of a lack of love. And I don't say that to browbeat you, but, but to, 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 to when you put your finger on what the problem is, you recognize this is, habits are important, habits are helpful, but it's, it's not an issue of habit as much as an issue of the heart. And where you want to start if you have a prayer problem, how you want to stir up that love, I would submit to you a great place to start would be spending more time in the word. Because it's there you learn of or reminded of what God has done, who he is. And, and, and in reading, you're stirred up to pray to this great God. It's there you're reminded of the common fellowship you share with other believers. You're reminded of what the lost don't have and you're stirred up with love to pray for them. Start with reading the word and prayer very often will follow. Because as we're going to see, spiritual growth really begins with the first domino. If you picture a bunch of dominoes lined up, what's the first one you want to knock over? Th this prayer Paul presents sort of cascades, and the first domino in it is knowledge. Keep reading in verse 9. Asking, so now he's going to detail what he's been praying for them. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So interestingly, he begins his prayer with a prayer for the knowledge of God's will, that they'd grow in the knowledge of his will. Um, he uses this word filled. Uh, it's, it's the Greek word plerao, and it means to be completely filled or totally controlled. You actually see this word throughout the New Testament a lot of times, and that's generally what it means. It is to be controlled by something. It talks, you know, in Acts 4.3, talks about the disciples being filled with the Holy Spirit. But it also uses it, Luke 6, 11, talks about how the Pharisees were filled with rage, right? They were controlled by it when they heard about Jesus um, healing people on the Sabbath. Or how the disciples' hearts in John 16 were filled with sorrow. Or even in um, Luke 5, 26, the crowd was filled with fear. So it, it's this overwhelming, expulsive type of filling where, where something becomes your primary focus so much that you're, you're controlled by it. And, and Paul here is praying that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So the difference is what you're filled with. What you're filled with. You know, when I was uh, a kid, I was really into Star Wars. Really into Star Wars. To the level that it was sort of a problem. <laughs> And I would say I was filled with the knowledge of Star Wars. In fact, I, uh, I remember one time in middle school, I was at a Pizza Hut buffet. Do they still have those, by the way? Anyway, we were going to get some dessert pizza, and I was with some other middle school friends. And one of them was just quizzing me on Star Wars stuff. And guys, I was nailing it. <laughs> and then he brought out the big guns. He goes, hey, Reagan, what color are Jar Jar Binks' toenails? You could see the sweat begin to drip down my face. You know, I was staggered by this. But then I steeled myself and I said, Jar Jar Binks' toenails are purple. And it was like just a middle school mic drop moment, you know? I was a, I was a hero among my nerdy friends. <laughs> but enough of my, you know, my heroic exploits. Uh, the point is, 
what you are filled with. That's kind of, it's fine to have hobbies. It's fine to, to know, you know, you, you can be interested in sports statistics, all these different things, or Star Wars trivia. But what matters is what you're filled with. And the thing that Paul wants them to be filled with, that he wants kind of oozing out of them, is the knowledge of God's will. The knowledge of his will. And I think sometimes knowledge in, in Christian circles can get a bad rap. Sometimes we set it in opposition. We're like, oh, that's a little bit different than faith. Or, you know, it's a little bit different than, than love. Because you, you talk about, oh, well, these people, they just have head knowledge. And they don't do anything with it. And I, and I do, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the passage, that it is a problem. But it starts with knowledge. It starts with knowledge. It's important and in fact, this is a recurring theme throughout Paul's letters. He talks about um, when he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.5, um, he wants them to be enriched in Christ in all speech and all knowledge. He prays for the Ephesians that, uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. In Philippians 1.9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge in all discernment. And later in Colossians, Colossians chapter two, in, it talks about Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all over the place. So knowledge, as we talk about you know, these dominoes lining them up, you have to know God's will in order to obey, right? You have to know in order to have faith. This is why it says in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word according to, to Christ, right? You have, there's a content to your faith. What is it you believed in? You said, I believed in Jesus. Which Jesus? What's he like? You have to know there's a content to your faith. And so it starts with knowledge, with knowing. And, in, and then, so it's knowledge. It leads to faith and it leads to obedience, I was just going to quote Yoda again because the Star Wars thing was coming back. You know, anger leads to hate. Uh, but we'll leave that out. And so specifically, Paul's prayer here starts with a prayer that they'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Of God's will. And I don't think here he's talking, often we talk about, you know, I want to know God's will for my life. And we're kind of, when we use that phrase a lot, we're sort of like, crystal ball type knowledge. We're like, I want to know, you know, who I should marry or what career choice to make or where do I go to college? What may, right? And, and these are things that it's wise to pray for wisdom for. But I believe Paul here is talking specifically when he's talking about knowledge of God's will about what God has revealed. It's, it's doctrinal knowledge. Now, what is it God wants? That's what his will is. And so again, we come back to the word. How do you learn this stuff? Part of it's supernatural. Obviously, that's why, that's why Paul is praying for it. He's asking that God would do it. But the Spirit uses means. And we have the wonderful gift of the Word of God. This is a revelation. And I don't just mean the book of Revelation. This, when we talk about God has revealed His will to us in His Word. And too often, we neglect it. And I think it's, it's sad. You can, you can imagine a couple that, that's dating for a long time. They're getting more and more serious. And, and the woman says, hey, I want you to know everything about you. She tells the man. And so I've written you this really long letter. And it tells you about my past. It tells you about what I've done, what I, what I like, what I would desire from you, all these different things. And I just want you to know me. So I've, I've written this all down. And she gives it to him. And he's just like, I don't need that. I don't need to know that. I, I just, I'm just as new. And she's like, I'm trying to tell you about who I am. 
and he just throws it aside. You would be like, come on, guy. But that's us when we neglect the word of God. God's told us, here's what I'm like. Here's what I've done. Here's why you should trust me. Here's why you should have faith. Here's, here's what I require of you. Here's what obedience looks like. If you want to please God, it starts with knowing God and he's revealed himself in his word that you might know him. And so Paul prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that ought to be our prayer as we step into this new year as well. And we filled with it. Bursting at the seams with the knowledge of God's will. I want to be in the word this year. He goes on, look, look again back at verse 9. And he finishes this section by saying, fill the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that part's easy to sort of like fast forward through. Sometimes you're reading through the Bible. You're like, this seems sort of repetitive, this part. Like, you're like, what's the difference between knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding? Like, it seems like he's just like tacking on synonyms here. Well, this is spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is knowledge applied. It's knowledge applied. And I told you this first prayer for the new year, we talked about a prayer for spiritual discernment. That's, that's what this is. It's, it's taking the knowledge and applying it and using it. These two words here for wisdom and understanding, they're Sophia and Sunesis. They're very closely related, but they're both modified, notice, by the word spiritual. We should say it's a different sort of wisdom than just practical wisdom or practical understanding. This is this is, has to do with our ability to spiritually assess things. And so I, that's why I call it spiritual discernment. That you might be able to, to notice the drop of poison that's in the cup of the false teacher's message where everything else he's saying is biblical, but there's just something that's a little bit off. You have spiritual discernment. It's knowledge applied where you see the temptation coming, the temptation to sin long before it's like surrounded you and it's much harder to flee from it. And so as you'll see, he's going to continue with this, but the first sort of application of this knowledge is that we use it to make spiritual assessments. And again, this is obtained through the word of God by the work of the Holy Spirit who enables you to understand and apply it but starts with reading it. In a world of confusion and chaos, we really, really need spiritual wisdom and understanding if we would hope to live a life that's pleasing to God. Amen. So that's point one. If you want to grow in spiritual discernment in 2024, read your Bible. Okay, so knowledge of his will, spiritual wisdom, spiritual understanding, these lead inexorably towards our second prayer for the new year, which is a prayer for fruitfulness. And this we see in verse 10. So it's a prayer for spiritual discernment, and then next it's a prayer for fruitfulness. See in verse 10, he says, so as, so here, so what's the point of all this being filled with the knowledge of his will? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The purpose of growing in the knowledge of God's will is so that you'll lead a more faithful Christian life. It's not just so that you'll win at Bible trivia. And, and I think sometimes, you know, to come back to the, the, I left a little footnote earlier talking about how, how sometimes knowledge gets a bad rap in Christian circles. This is why. Because it is easy to see knowledge as an ends in itself. 
to get real into theology and doctrine and really know the word, but not apply it and not use it. And I will say this, as someone who has done this in my own life, who's treated knowledge as an end in itself, theology is not a hobby. It's not a hobby. It's not something you do for, for fun as an end in itself. It's not like, you know, being into your favorite team so, so you know, you can debate things with the other team. And sometimes that's what we do. Theology has a purpose. Doctrine has a purpose. It has a ends. It has a, a telos. It longs to be applied. And so we care about doctrine. We want to know this so that we can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And too often, too many people, and I'll speak to the young men specifically. I see this a lot. Theology is an ends in itself so that you can debate, so that you can go after people on Twitter, so you can have a real good vision of who the good guys and bad guys are. And, and, and it is true that we need theology so that we can discern what is right from what is wrong. But if it doesn't change your life, if it, it's not actually being applied, you're doing it wrong. So the first place we said that, that this doctrine, this theology, this knowledge of his will bubbles over in application is in our ability to spiritually discern, to make right choices. But the second place is in this fruitfulness. The knowledge of his will should lead us to live, which is to say have attitudes, have actions that are worthy of the Lord, he says. Now that should, that should take you back a little bit. Worthy of the Lord? What a statement. I mean, would you, would you say, oh yeah, the way I live, the way I walk, it's worthy of the Lord. <laughs> That's quite a statement. How can a behavior, our behavior in any way, ever be said to be worthy of the Lord? We're talking about the creator of the universe, the Holy One of Israel. You know, the one who alone is worthy of all honor and glory and praise and who died and was raised and who alone is worthy to open up the scroll. And we're saying, I'm going to live a life that's worthy of him. That is a tall order. That is a tall order. How can that be? And yet again, you see this repeated all throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament. He says in Ephesians 4, he urges them to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. Or 1 Thessalonians 2.12, um, he charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. Or Philippians 1.27, or only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's again and again and again. What's he saying here? The idea is that our conduct, the way we live, should be like people who understand how great our God is, who understand our duty to bear his image correctly, and understand the great gospel by which we've been saved. And we said, in light of all that, that's going to change the way you walk. That's going to change the way you carry yourself. It's going to change the way you behave. You're going to flee from sin. You're going to, you're going to seek to grow. You're going to seek to love others. You're going to be filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Your manner of life should change. This is, you know, just by way of analogy, this is why colleges have a code of conduct, right? Um, you can imagine somebody who, who maybe they grew up in not the best circumstances and they, they somehow end up going to an Ivy League school and they get there and they don't, they don't dress the way that everyone else dresses. They don't act the way or speak the way that everyone else dresses. And the, and the dean um, invites them in to his office and says, hey, you're not conducting yourself like a Harvard man, for example. And the point is, they would be saying, you bear the name of this institution now. 
walk, carry yourself like someone who bears the name of this institution. Harvard's a bad example. <laughs> but you get the idea. <laughs> this is the point. We want to walk as people who bear the name of Christ because you do. You're a Christian. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're a, a little Christ is what that word means. Do so you bear his name? That'll change the way you walk. He goes on to say, fully pleasing to him. This, we're still in verse 10 here. That's our desire, right? It ought to be. If you trust in Jesus Christ, fully, that in every way, no hidden sins, no living for yourself. It's a life consecrated. I want to please God with my life. He goes on bearing fruit in every good work. You know, we, we read about this in John 15. It talks about, how, you know, he's the vine. We're the branches. We abide in him. We'll bear much fruit. It's speaking here of good works. What comes out of a life that is fully pleasing to God? It includes things like um, leading people to Christ. It includes things like praise to God, giving money, godly living, holy attitudes. I'm just listing off things that, are, that specifically are called good works in the New Testament or are called fruit. The fruit of the Spirit. And so when he says here, bearing fruit in every good work, it's a way of saying that in every category of good works, from your attitudes to your actions, to serving God, to serving others, you would be productive in bearing fruit in those areas. That you're not, you're not just focusing on just on one area, but you're actually bearing fruit in every good work, right? You're not like the guy who goes to the gym and only works out his right bicep. And he looks like a mutant, you know, walking around with this big old Popeye arm, and the rest of him's all tiny. You don't want to be like that. You want to be bearing fruit in every good work. But again, how do you do this? It all flows back to that first domino. You've got to be filled with the knowledge of his word. And that leads through, through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to applying that, to live so that you would live in a, a, a walk in a manner that, that's worthy of God, that's fully pleasing to him. So start there. If you want to stay on the right path in 2024, if you want to increase in knowledge, or if, if you want to increase in your faithfulness and your fruitfulness, read the word. Start there. Then he said something interesting. We're still in verse 10 here. <clears throat> the very end there. So I'll read all of verse 10 just to hack it all together. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. We just came full circle and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is, that's interesting, because isn't that what we started with? Um, there's a, a business writer named Jim Collins. Anybody know Jim Collins? He wrote like, How the Mighty Have Fallen, Good to Great. Anyway, I, I kind of nerd out. I like Jim Collins. But hey, there's a concept that comes up in every one of his books. Basically what, what Collins does is he looks at companies and he, he puts them in pairs. He looks at a company, two companies that are basically had the same sort of opportunities in the same industry, yet one went on to like be really great and one sort of floundered or just is okay. And he studies all these different groups and says, what are the principles? What are the things that made the great companies great? And the thing that is kind of at the heart of what he teaches is what he calls the flywheel effect. And so the idea is a flywheel is a big mechanical device. Um, I looked this up. I, here's the definition. A mechanical device designed to store angular kinetic energy in a rotating mass. So picture that. <laughs> My definition is a big heavy wheel that's hard to turn at first, <laughs> but gets easier the more you turn it. That's what Collins talks about with these, these businesses that have done really well. You picture this big heavy flywheel, and the first turn, obviously, it's really hard to get going. 
takes a lot of your energy, but as you keep turning it, it's kind of gaining momentum. It's helping you. And so with each subsequent turn, it becomes easier and easier and easier. And so he applies this framework to, uh, for example, a company like Amazon. How did Amazon grow into the giant company? I promise we're bringing this back to the Bible. This is like <laughs> an odd excursus, but this, this is going to make sense in a moment. Amazon really just does one thing. It's one sort of central flywheel to their business that's made them grow. They started with, we offer really low prices on lots of things, everything, everything from A to Z. And then they said, okay, if we do that, we'll increase the number of visits to our website. That's step two of their flywheel. And then we'll attract third-party sellers that want to sell stuff because we have all these people on the website. Then we'll expand the store and we'll have even more distribution. And that will lead inevitably to us growing our revenues per fixed cost, which will lead back to low, us being able to lower prices even anymore. And then it goes round and round and round. So it's a very simple, uh, tight logic to what Amazon does that Collins argues makes them great. And he calls that the flywheel. As long as they keep doing that, they will continue to grow, okay? I think we're seeing something similar here with what Paul's talking about. The, 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 maybe we call this the flywheel of Christian maturity. He's saying it begins with you being filled with the knowledge of God's will, which leads inevitably to spiritual discernment, which leads inevitably to fruitfulness where you're, where you're, you're growing in good works, which leads inevitably back to you pursuing more knowledge of God, and it goes round and round and round. But just like a flywheel, it's kind of hard to, if you've stalled out, to get the thing started again. So, so I, probably many of you in here could say, I've kind of stalled out. I'm not, I'm not in the word as I should be. I'm not praying as I ought to be. The, and, and you got this big dusty flywheel in the corner of the room and you're thinking, I just, I, just getting started, the amount of willpower it's going to take to get back into the word, get back to doing these things, it's going to be tough. But my encouragement to you is that just get started. Because once you start going, it gets easier. It does. And you know, you, you build in this habit, and as we're going to see in the next point, the, the, the Holy Spirit empowers you to do this, and you will see that maturity grow and grow and grow, and your knowledge of his will grow and grow, grow and will leave cycle after cycle after cycle, and you will continue to grow and mature in Christ. So if you want to grow in fruitfulness in 2024, Read your Bible. Start turning the flywheel. Tomorrow morning. <laughs> okay, so habits can help, but growing in maturity is not something you do on your own. And this brings us to our third prayer for the new year. And this is a prayer for power. Verse 11. <clears throat> he says, being strengthened with all power. Strengthened here in the original is, is a, a present participle. So that, that indicates a continuous action. It's ongoing. This isn't a prayer for like a one-time boost, you know, like Super Mario when he picks up a star and he do, 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 but then it wears off. This is an ongoing thing. He wants you to be strengthened on power, in, on, in ongoing power with your walk with the Lord. That's what his prayer is for the Colossians. And the result of that is a continuous supply. And I think sometimes we get the sense that though we were saved supernaturally. We know that it, it's, it's the Lord's work that saved us. We get this idea in our heads that it's going to be, maturity is going to be all of our own efforts then. You know, he just kind of hands us the keys to the car. He says, good luck. But that's not true. In fact, Paul even um, chastised the Galatians about this very thing. Galatians 3.3, 3, he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? 
You know, start with the, the, you understand that it's the spirit who opened your eyes in salvation that, that, that led you to believe on Christ, but now you're supposed to grow onto maturity and just do that by yourself? No, no. Yes, there are things we do. We do need to get up. We need to open the word. We need to be in prayer. We need to, you know, get up on a Sunday and come and fellowship with the saints. The spirit uses means to grow us, but it's still him doing it. It's his power. And so Paul here in this pray, prayer says, I pray that God would empower you. The way we put it is, you're not turning that flywheel on your own strength. Be encouraged. And, and if that's exciting enough, listen to this next phrase here. So he says, beginning or being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. What does that mean? This is, what, what is the power that he's talking about measured by? right? What kind of power are we talking about? It's measured according to his glorious might. This isn't some little two-stroke engine puttering along to help you out. This is the limitless power of the almighty God. And he uses this to enable us to live the Christian life. You know, we, we talk about this, that believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit living within us. And, and, and that's not just like a doctrinal truth. You have God living within you, empowering you to live a life pleasing to him. And we have to believe that by faith and we take the first step and you find that there is power there. So habits are great, but they aren't enough. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray for that as well. So to what end? So he goes on here. We're still in verse 11. For all endurance and patience with joy. So what's the result of this strengthening, this being empowered? Three things, endurance, patience, and joy. Because I, I, a life pleasing to God is not an easy path, okay? It wears you down. There's persecution. If, if you, stepping into 2024, say, I am going to seek to be more faithful in serving God this year, get ready. Because you have an enemy. And he will seek to trip you up. He will seek to discourage you. He will seek to make you weary. He will seek to make you impatient because growth is slow. But for the weariness, he says, we have endurance. For the lengthiness of the journey, we have given patience. For the discouragement that's inevitable, we've given joy. Such that we have all that we need to walk by faith, to grow in our faithfulness, to, see, to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord in his power, even as opposition comes. And so I will say it again, if you want power for your Christian walk in 2024, start with reading your Bible. Start with reading your Bible. Because again, even as we, we remember these truths about how God has equipped us to walk by faith, who's, who's given us the power of the Holy Spirit, we need reminders. I, I would hope even if you, as we're looking at this right now, you're, you're encouraged, you're like, oh yeah, oh yeah. It's not that you didn't know it. It's you need to be reminded of it. So this is something that, that you know, we, we're reading the Bible and you're like, I kind of already know what's in the Bible. I've, I've read through it, you know, 10 years ago and I'm good, right? But just as much as we need to learn new things, and this is, his word is living and active, by the way, and he reveals new things to you, but just as much you need to be reminded because we're forgetful. And we need to be reminded of the power that you have. So get in the word, make it consistent, make it part of your new year. But there is one last prayer for the new year that we'll, we'll talk about here. And this is the fourth one, which is a prayer for gratitude. 
And this is verses 12 through 14. And so Paul finishes his prayer with a prayer of thanksgiving. He says in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father. There's something really interesting, even in, in the way Paul very often prays, but especially in this one, there's a Trinitarian nature to it. He's talked about the Son. He's about to talk about the Son even, even more in these next three verses. Um, he's talked about the work of the Holy Spirit, and here he's giving thanks to the Father. It's just beautiful. You, you see Paul's theology in action, even in how he prays, as he understands the Godhead. So that's just an aside. But it le- this, this ought to lead to us giving thanks. As you run through the list of the things the Lord enables us to do through faith in Christ, the empowering work of his spirit, it's only natural that that meditation overflows in thanksgiving. It's only natural. And again, the, the thanksgiving is an ongoing thing. But here specifically, he talks about why he's giving thanks. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Who's qualified. That's an interesting word. This word means cause to be adequate, to be made sufficient, to make fit. He's qualified us. And we're going to see to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. What qualification do you need to receive an inheritance? What do you have to be? Son or a daughter. The amazing thing is, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to talk about forgiveness for sins in just a moment, but he starts with, he's qualified you to be an heir. He's adopted you into his family. This is amazing. Give thanks. You are not sufficient in yourself to receive that. You must become a child of the king. And he says, to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. The saints of light here speaks of light, specifically of holiness, perfection, glory, um, right? We talk about the God who dwells in unapproachable light. He, he has adopted and purified us and thereby qualified us to receive the inheritance of, of heaven and, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies are yours in Christ Jesus, if you've put your faith in him. And he's, so he's qualified for that. So that's something to give thanks for. You wouldn't give thanks for it if you're the one who did it, you know? Like, uh, you know, someone gets, gets up to give an acceptance speech and they're like, I want to thank me. It's like, <laughs> okay. I thank God because he qualified me. It's a grace thing. It's unmerited favor. We're qualified by virtue of us being united to Christ by faith. Look here, continue on verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Remember that at one time we were in darkness. Uh, We were under the reign of Satan and under sin. But now we are in the light. We deserved wrath. But now because he has qualified, because he's adopted us, we deserve eternal blessedness through Jesus. This is an amazing reminder. And it's not just that he pulled us out of darkness, but he's, he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This word transferred, it means to, rem- be, or to remove or to change, right? So it's often used in the ancient world talking about a, a people who's been displaced, like a conquered people from one land to another, or of a king being removed. It's used that way in Acts 13. It's the total removal from one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light from being under the reign of Satan to be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I picture it, I picture it like a power shovel for some reason where he, he's scooped us up. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness, but he didn't say, all right, good luck. He scooped us up and then, boom, 
dropped us into the kingdom of his beloved son. It, 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 it talks about both sides of the gospel here, that, that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven for your sins. You're taken out of the kingdom of darkness. But it's more than that. You're also imputed a right status, a righteous, justified status before God and given all of these blessings that don't belong to you by grace, but they do belong to you by grace now. It's an incredible thing that he's done for us. You know, it's like if you, if you went into traffic court because you got a ticket and the judge says, I'm going to waive the fine. And you're like, oh, that was really nice of you. But he said, and here's a million dollars. You're like, what, why? That's what happened to you. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, it's not just that your slaves wiped clean and you're white as snow. You are. But you've also been adopted into his family and treated like a royal heir. Thank God for that. Amen. Thank God for that. And here he is in verse 14, spelling out that, that first part of that, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You've been redeemed, ransomed, as it were, by his precious blood, forgiven for your sins, past, present, future, washed clean, purchased, forgiven. Psalm 103.12 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. It says in Micah 7, 19, it speaks of a day that would then would be coming, but now is here, that he would cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What a beautiful imagery. This is the gratitude that again should lead us back to his word. If you're a believer, even this fourth prayer of a prayer of gratitude for the gospel, for your salvation, leads you back to the word. So I want to know more about this. I, I, I want to know more about this, God. This is amazing. It leads you back to the word. So if, even if you want to grow in gratitude to God this year, the first domino there is, is reading his word. So I, I, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you, stepping into this new year, start turning that flywheel. Get into the word. I'm going to share in a moment with you a couple of uh, resources on, for Bible reading plans if you want to do that kind of stuff. But before we do that, I want to speak to those of you who are here that have not believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe you're visiting, maybe you've been here a long time, maybe you just, you just know, I have not put my trust in Jesus Christ. There's the, you know, kind of the cheesy saying, people say, new year, new you, right? You have an opportunity today to literally have a new year, new you. To, to turn to God even today and repent of your sins. I don't want to be in the domain of darkness anymore. I don't want to follow my own passions. I don't want to continue to indulge in sin. I don't want to live as a rebel towards you anymore. Instead, I want to trust in Jesus Christ and believe that his perfect life and his death that I deserve, that he died on my behalf, is sufficient to cover my sin and believe all the promises that you've made for those who believe in Jesus Christ. You can do that today. It's free. Amen. This is what we talk about when we say that it's grace. It's unmerited favor. You don't deserve it. You're like, oh, maybe I got to start doing these Bible reading plans first. Then God will accept me. Nope. You start with an empty hand. I got nothing, God. I need you to qualify me. Amen. Today, friend, if you don't know Christ, <laughs> let this be the first day. Turn to him today. 
Repent of your sins. Trust in him. Be wiped clean. Leave all those burdens from 2023 and all the years going back. Drop them at the cross today and start a new year with a new heart. With the God who promised that he would pluck out our heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. That is my prayer for you if you don't know Christ. Then start reading your Bible. And I want to tell you guys about a couple resources that might be helpful to you. Um, I've put together a whole bunch of Bible reading plans, okay? If you go, I have a website, redeemingproductivity.com. You can write this down, redeemingproductivity.com slash Bible reading plans with a hyphen between that. Bible hyphen reading hyphen plans. Hopefully that's pretty memorable. I have curated a list of a ton of Bible reading plans that are really helpful, that I found helpful. And some of them are really short. And here's sort of my practical encouragement to you. Start with a short one. <laughs> if you're like, I've never read through the Bible, don't be like, I'm going to do this read the Bible in 30 days plan. That sounds good. <laughs> you can try it. <laughs> but you don't even need to read the whole Bible in a year. That's a great thing. But start, start with something easy, okay? Because the point of this is, is just that you're fellowshiping the Lord consistently. Build, build that habit first. Start with just a chapter a day. Colossians is a great book. Read chapter one tomorrow morning. Then read all the way through to chapter four. Then pick a new book. That's an easy way to do it. But I got a bunch of them on there. Redeemproductivity.com slash Bible hyphen reading hyphen plans. And just pick one. That, that's, that's really, I wish if you would just take away any sort of practical application from this message. Read your Bible in 2024. Okay? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we have so much to be grateful for. But we praise you and we thank you for the salvation that is found in your son, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful gift it is. I pray, Lord, as we step into this new year, that by your power, you would strengthen us to desire to walk more closely with you that you would help us, even in our feeble, humble state, to pick up the word, this wonderful gift you've given us, revealing yourself in a book that we have access to. Help us to want to start reading. Help us to encourage one another in this so that we might continue on that path of maturity and growing. Oh, and God, I pray for those who are here with us this morning who, are, who might be listening to this who don't know you. I pray that this would be the day of salvation. A great easy day to remember, December 31st, 2023 is the day I turned my life over to Jesus Christ, that they might begin a new year with a new heart in a new kingdom serving you. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to the show. I hope that that was encouraging to you. If you would like to support this program, consider joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash redeemingprod. Or if you'd like to take your Christian productivity to the next level, check out our courses, books, and membership program over at redeemingproductivity.com slash store. And thank you for listening.